Persecution in the church abounds. Christians are encouraged to be holy. And Paul tells us how he became like a woman. All this and more in 1 Thessalonians. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. Did I get that right? I think so. Got it right. Who are you? I don't know. Keith? Oh, I'm Brandon. Ah, yes. We are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, and we're hoping you encourage today. Brandon, where are we at in the Bible? We're in First Thessalonians. Ah, a great book. We're going through the letters of Paul. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're getting further and further in. Now yeah. we get to, I feel like, an underappreciated letter. Very much, yeah. A very encouraging letter. Surprisingly, from yeah. Paul. Yeah. And then also, you know, First and Second Thessalonians, they got some confusing stuff in them, too. Yeah, it's so. about end times and the return of Jesus. And, well, it's confusing because the church that he's writing to is confused. So, yeah, yeah. Well, a little bit confused. So yeah. you would think it'd be easy to understand so that we could all understand all these things and then no longer be confused. But well, it's clear what his main thrust is. I will say that. Yes. He's like, I want you to be encouraged and to have hope and to not be confused and discouraged. But he doesn't, he doesn't just give us like every detail that we want for the end times. Correct. Yeah. He doesn't give us a date, unfortunately. No, unfortunately not. Um, but yes, yeah, so this was written by the Apostle Paul. Okay. Mm. In fact, sure? Well, actually, hold up, hold up, actually, hold up. Verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 <clears throat> says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Whoa. Whoa. Three. The Holy Trinity of... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so a lot of people say, well, this was a, you know, kind of a joint letter. Um was it written by all three? Well, clearly they're at least in view. And there's a few times in, in the epistles where Paul will mention those who are with him. Mm-hmm. But I will say, in terms of the style of the book, all of that, it's clear that there's a central author. So Paul's that central author. Sometimes he'll, he'll use the word we, but he also uses that in different books as well mm-hmm. that are sole authorship. But he also, in this book, will use the, the word I to refer to himself. So it's probably just these are those who are with him who are helping him, they're kind of co-signing the letter, Yeah, is what it seems like. That makes sense. So he seems to be clearly the one who's... And in fact, this is very widely accepted as a Pauline letter. There are some that people will challenge or doubt, like Ephesians. This is not one of those letters. There's, there's almost no people who doubt it. There's always one guy, right? <laughs> but there's, that's, it's generally very well accepted. All right. Who was it written to? Well, it's written to the town of Thessalonica, um, This the church in that town. Um, and it's a new church, mm-hmm. like like all New Testament churches. But at this point, this church may have only been a few months old. So it was very, Actually, very new. Yeah. And um, Paul had gone there. <clears throat> well, I should say first, Thessalonica is a port town in Greece. So some of these towns are in you know Asia Minor, Turkey, and then some are in Greece. This one's in Greece. Seems like and a common it's a pretty, theme. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the whole area he's going to, right, yeah. um, in the Mediterranean. And it's, this was a big city for back then, about 100,000 people. And Paul had visited there in Acts chapter 17. This is right after he was at Philippi mm-hmm. and encountered the Philippian jailer right. and started the church through his ha- household. <clears throat> um, but Paul visits in Acts 17, and his visit ends in conflict, and he's actually cast out of the city. Mm. So we don't necessarily have like a solid timeline of how long he was there. It sounds like in Acts he's only there for like a couple days maybe, but he's probably there for a couple months okay. is, what it, is what it seems like. Um, That's plenty of time to start a church. Yeah, yeah, plenty of time to get things going. And yeah, it's kind of shocking that he's addressing them and being like, hey, you guys are pretty good for the most part. Like, wow. I'm encouraged by you. I'm happy right. for you. I'm all these things. He's getting this report back about their maturity. And he's like, you guys, you guys are awesome. But 
you're confused on some key things. Right. And you're a little bit lazy, so you got to get off your butt and right. get back to work. So um, now this was written um, probably right after he started the church. So he started this church in the late 40s. This letter was probably written around 50 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is one of his earliest letters. Yeah. And, and we see in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18 that he, was, he had to leave them quickly and he wanted to get back after only a short time away. Mm-hmm. So that indicates that this wasn't a long time that he was absent from them. Right. And so that's probably why, that's why we think it was probably written very quickly after mm-hmm. uh, he was there. So that's probably when it was written. It's one of his earliest letters, and it doesn't have a lot of, like Romans and Ephesians are like high-flying theology. Right. This, not so much. It's more personal and, and practical. It seems that way. You, you definitely see his like personal intent and, and his writing style in it. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Well. So why was it written? So Paul was concerned about them because he had left so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things is that he's kind of he doesn't want them to feel like he's abandoned them. Mm-hmm. But then he also, like I've said, he's addressing uh, concerns about their view of the day of the Lord, about what we might call end times or eschatology, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so he wants to help them with some misunderstandings. And then he has some some general exhortations and some corrections for them. Yeah. But it seems to be m- mostly focused on the day of the Lord. So that'd be the, that'd be the, the theme for both first and second Thessalonians is is the end or the day of the Lord, yeah. And um, there's an emphasis on the imminent return of Christ that Christ could come back at any time. Mm-hmm. So we need to be ready in how we're living, right? Um, and then I love at first Thessalonians. I love. I think it's really underrated is his description of his ministry to the Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful description. It's so helpful for us to understand what ministry is all about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great. How's that book structured, Alan? Yeah, so chapter one is his intro and his opening remarks. Chapters two and three goes through his ministry to the Thessalonians. And then chapters four and five are instructions to the Thessalonians and and some words about the day of the Lord. Ah, the day of the Lord. Yeah, so pretty pretty simple overall. But uh, yeah, should we jump in? Let's jump in. Chapter one, first Thessalonians. Yeah, so he starts with Thanksgiving, which is pretty, pretty normal. And he, he talks about, in verses 4 and 5, their election mm-hmm. and how it was demonstrated, right? He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you right. because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So I like this because it's kind of helpful for our understanding of election. A lot of times people think of election as a sort of thing that you can't see in any visible way, right? Mm-hmm. That you're just chosen, so you could be a faithful Christian and do, your be- do the best you can, and then you go to hell. And you could be a sinner and then go to heaven, right? But that's not what this indicates. It indicates that actually election is shown by the fruits of your life. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a, a helpful thing, I think. Yeah. And then he, he says you've become an example to others, verses 7 through 9. And then I think verse 10 is pretty key because he's trying to encourage them. And he says, <clears throat> verse 10, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hmm. So wrath to come, and that this is going to be the big focus of the book, is that destruction is coming upon their enemies, uh, first and second Thessalonians, really. Right. That destruction is coming, but Jesus is the one who saves us from that coming wrath. So there's this strong eschatological focus. And again, that word eschatological, it's not scatological, okay? Which is like <laughs> bad words or whatever. <laughs> Es- eschatology, or the, it's about the eschaton, which means the end, right? It's a Greek word for the end, the final things. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. So he's going to be focusing on 
the end because they seem to be concerned that this has already happened, that there's some sort of uh, the day of the Lord has already happened, that they kind of missed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about scatological. <laughs> I've never actually heard that. From, yeah. from the, have you ever heard anybody actually mix up those terms like eschatology? Or I don't know that most people even know what scatological means, so yeah. I don't know that it's that big of a problem. But <laughs> just want to be really clear. clear. Yeah. Anyway, great. This is his scatological letter. Well, I think that was uh, that was uh, Philippians. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, so chapter two, he starts to focus on his ministry. And I love, I feel like verse two really sums up his ministry. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much, much conflict. Mm, so yeah. he's got boldness, he's speaking the truth, and yet there's there's conflict. And so that's just part of what ministry is all about. But I love the different areas he focuses on in terms of his ministry. First, we see that there's a desire for clarity. Verses three through six, right? He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But he says, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests the hearts, right? Yeah. So we didn't come just saying what you wanted us to hear. We didn't just yeah, like give you, kind of tickle your ears, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But we gave you the clear word of God. Yeah, and we've and, heard that from Paul, similar things. Yes, of that, yeah. like like Acts 20, mm-hmm. right? I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Yeah. That's that's what he's all about. We also though, see his compassion, verses 7 and 8. Mm-hmm. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, again, this is you know where you mentioned that Paul compares himself to a woman. Right there. You know, it's funny. I, I, I've talked to the people. This is totally a side issue here, but <clears throat> we're going to go here. Um, I've talked to people... And I've actually, you know, had some prolonged conversations with people who believe that because God in the Bible will sometimes refer to himself through female metaphors like a hen, mother hen, or something, that therefore God is a a woman. Or at least like we shouldn't use any sort of like masculine pronouns to refer to God. Okay, keep going. (laughs) That's the full thought. Okay. That's all no. (laughs) No, no, and I I just think um, it's funny, right? I my response is usually like, well, f- well, first of all, Paul does the same thing. Right. Right? Like, like I'm like a mother to you. He's not saying I don't have gender. Right. Like, how do we get there? Like, you have to live in the year 2022 to, to take something Correct. so stupid out of a, a comment like that from Scripture. I'm sorry. Right. Like, it is yeah. so low in, low IQ. Right. And ridiculous. Um, I'm not. I'm, I feel like I'm attacking you. I'm not. I, no, I, no, you don't, don't believe. I don't this. feel that way. I feel like you're attacking the world and <laughs> it's me so perfectly. Dumb. But then also, um, you know, to use the, the the world's language, like why don't we just use God's preferred pr- pronouns? Yeah. Like we have this belief in our world that someone gets to determine their own reality by determining their pronouns, mm-hmm. which is totally crazy. But if there's one being in the universe who should be able to do that, who who actually can self-define, who is the I am that I am. Who is autonomous. It's it's God, right? Yeah, so if he wants to label himself with the... We know that God doesn't have the markers of male gender in human form, right? Right. Well, Jesus, but... Right, we we get that he's not he doesn't have a body. Mm-hmm. God the Father doesn't have a body, and yet God chooses to reveal Himself primarily through those kinds of metaphors and with exclusively masculine pronouns. So, right. yeah, so that whole thing is just nuts. I think your points well taken. Like you look at verses like this, or like you were talking about in other sections of Scripture where you could somehow draw like God is female or something, but then like you're clearly ignoring the rest of Scripture at that point, and you're just using Scripture to serve your 
you know, presupposition narrative that presupposed narrative that, you know, you want God to be a woman because yeah. you're crazy, you know, because you want to craft an idol in your own image, right? Yeah. In an image of culture. So it's clearly just a misuse of scripture. It's obviously there's like stupidity or foolishness there, like with the way you're handling text, but there's also like a willful, like rejection of what God is clearly teaching, you know, and yes. that's, that's, that's something Christians have to run from and we take the whole counsel of God. And yeah. Yeah, and just to be tr- crystal clear, I'm saying that as a human, you don't get to determine your own pronouns. Correct, yeah. But God, theoretically, yeah. should be able to, because this whole movement is making yourself God and making right. God like us. It's lowering yeah. him and raise, raising ourselves up. 100% agree, yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy how many Christians out there are contending for what you're contending against. Yeah. yeah. People that, you, yeah, you, you would have thought... We're pretty solid, and it's uh, yeah, moving in crazy directions. But anyway, the the point for this passage, because again, that was a total tangent. Um, <laughs> point for this passage is that Paul is expressing that he's compassionate to them. Right. He's taking the the best picture he can think of of compassionate love, which is a mother nursing her children, and that's the kind of care that he s- strove to have for these these Christians. Yeah. I also get the like Paul's giving that young infant church what it needs and it's the truth of the gospel right he's given them exactly what they need in love and care yeah it's amazing and then he goes on saying so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us Mm -hmm. so again this is just a ministry where he's giving his life Mm -hmm. and that again that picture of nursing is really appropriate because it's a mother giving from her own body to Mm, give life to her children and that's what paul is doing yeah and he goes the exact opposite and calls of a father the next yeah exactly (laughs) these are just metaphors yeah (laughs) so verses 9 and 10 he shows that it's not just there the clarity of the preaching and the compassion but also his conduct his conduct so he says you remember brothers are labor and toil we worked day, night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then he goes on to say, you were witnesses, verse 10, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So he's saying our whole life was built around proclaiming the message accurately and being the right kind of people. Yeah. And then he talks about their, the conviction with which they, they spoke to them, right? You know like a fa- how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk, wor- to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he's exhorting them and, and bringing conviction into their life to call them to something. So, yeah. And I love just how balanced all of this is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It starts with a clear speaking of the word, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it has love, it has strength, it has, uh, you know, a lived out ethic, all these things. Yeah. So Paul's not just saying, I, I sent you some DVDs and, and taught you. Wow, it's really a throwback, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I made DVD? some YouTube videos, you know, and taught you some stuff. What, what does DVD stand for? Uh, digital video. Disc. Disc. Yes, absolutely. That's what it stands for. Well. Um, verse 13 <laughs> is kind of the, his, one of the, a key statement here. Like I just seamlessly moved on from that. Um, he says, I, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Yeah. Man, that, that's a powerful statement about God's word. Yeah. He's saying to all those who would be critical and say, well, when they say the word of God, they just mean like, you know, that's their words and they're the nice words. He's saying, no, these are not man's words. These are God's words. Yeah. And you're receiving of it as such, 
is an indication of God's grace working in you. Yeah, that's great. So if you don't receive God's word, that's hugely concerning. Yeah, we recently had a um, friend of ours preach at our church, you know, uh, and uh, he said one of the, the best quotes I think that he said in his sermon was, um, he was talking about God's word and what it said, and, and his statement was simple. He was like, but it says what it says, and he was talking about God's word. It says what it says, and we obey it and trust it and love it, and I think that has to be our posture as Christians to the to the taxes. Just looking at it, saying, "Well, it says what it says," and believe it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> All of us are often, in many ways, I was going to say, in some ways, in many ways, and so the word corrects us. Yeah. Well, he expresses at the end of this chapter his longing to see them again, mm-hmm. and then he says in chapter three how he sent Timothy to them, and then he received a report back, and this was actually a good report, right? Yeah. So this isn't like the Corinthians where he's like, yeah. "I heard something else." That's horrible about you. You guys are the worst. No, here he's saying this is a good report. Mm-hmm. And so in chapter 4, he begins to encourage them to live in light of the gospel. And this is a common refrain that he gives, right? But chapter 4, verse 1, um, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So keep living this out. Live it out in sexual purity. Yeah. Right, verses three through eight. Live it out in brotherly love. Mm-hmm. He says, "Keep keep practicing brotherly love." And I love verses eleven and twelve because I think with all this, he's saying, "Here's how you live in light of the return of Christ." Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what this whole book is about. First and Second Thessalonians are both about this heavily about Christ's return. And so he's saying, "How do you live in light of the fact that Christ could return any minute?" So if they believe that Christ had already come back or there's already this kind of end times thing, that they had missed it, um, you might think that they would say, like, we have to live in some sort of extraordinary way or do these incredible works. Mm. That's what a lot of charismatic groups focus on, right? Well, if it's the end, then we got to do these miraculous things all the time. I mean, Paul's saying live in a way that's pure, love each other. And then verses 11 and 12 where he says, these are great verses. He says, and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Yeah, That's an amazing statement. So he's saying um, aspire, right, which aspirations, these are like, okay, what are your lofty goals? Mm-hmm. If you ask them what their aspirations are, I expect big things. Here he says aspire to live quietly, Yeah, to work with your hands, to do honest work, to make a living, yeah. to not take from others, right? But actually give to others, mm-hmm. I think is the implication there. Yeah. So live a life that is focused on simple things. Yeah. Having a family, getting a good job. Right. Like not, you know, not necessarily a, a, w- a wealthy job, but a, a job that gives something great to other people. Yeah, honest work that benefits culture and society. And, yeah. So I think it's a really counterintuitive what you might expect as he's speaking about the fact that Christ is coming again. Mm-hmm. Does everyone have to be Paul? Does everyone have to give their life to the flames um, for God's mission? Well, in a sense, yes. Yeah, because he talks about suffering and endurance through it. And, yeah, in a yeah. sense, yes. Yeah. But is everyone going to be a missionary? No. Right. no. And there's great value in <clears throat> ordinary work. Yeah. So I love that. I think it's a great, it's a great encouraging passage about the beauty of the ordinary life in light of the extraordinary return of Christ. Yeah, that's great. So then he then he changes the subject in verse thirteen, and he gets into the resurrection. Right. So he says, "We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep." Here he means those who are dead. Mm-hmm. So we see that use in John eleven 
right? That, oh, Lazarus is asleep. Oh, well, then who cares? Oh, I mean, he's dead. You know, So that Paul uses that quite a few times, asleep to mean dead. 1 Corinthians 15 is another place. Yeah. So he says, we don't want you to grieve, but to have hope. Because he says, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So if Christ has risen, if there's a, the, the reality of Christ's resurrection, then we have hope which by hope we mean a guarantee, a future guarantee that we're going to be raised as well. Right. So he says, I want you to remember that and to focus on that. And then he begins to talk about the, the order of this resurrection, verse mm-hmm. 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's going to be a certain order in terms of who's already dead and who's alive mm-hmm. in terms of resurrection. And Because I think there must have been this this confusion here about, oh, well, we're not going to see those who have died. There's no hope for those who have already died. And so Paul's clarifying that. He's saying, no, actually, those who are dead will rise first and then we'll join them. So verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Right. Verse 17, then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we're, the, the dead will be raised, and then the living will join them in this resurrection event. Yeah, it's very hopeful. Well, so, and we're going to be with God from then on. Um, now, this is where you get the doctrine of the rapture in dispensational theology. So that the idea would be Christ is kind of coming down. He's in the clouds, in the glory cloud, and then we're caught up to be with him, and then he goes back up. Mm-hmm. Other people believe it's talking about his coming down to earth, mm-hmm. and so we meet him to welcome him down to earth and to establish that kingdom. I, I don't think there's any way to really be dogmatic about this. So the, the verb is used in different texts in Greek to refer to someone being brought in in the procession. Mm-hmm. So that'd be the main argument for people that are saying this is about him coming down. Um, but I think it could be either one. Hmm. You don't necessarily have to be dispensational to believe that we're being taken up to be with God. Because yeah. it's not really clear where this fits in, in all the order of things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But he says all of this, verse 18, he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. So the big idea is Christ is coming soon, but those who are dead have hope because they're going to be raised. Yeah. God's not going to forget them. And then chapter 5, we see more focus on the day of the Lord. We have a little bit of time left here so we can focus on this. But we see his focus on the, the imminent return of Christ, meaning it could happen at any moment. Right. And that need to be ready because we don't know the time. Mm-hmm. So verse, verse 2 of chapter 5, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So thief in the night comes in a way that's unexpected. Right. So he's, he's saying that's going to be harmful for those who don't know Jesus. But for you, you can be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 3, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a, upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So people are going to be speaking about safety and peace. We hear that a lot today. Yep. Focus on, oh, things are great. Basically, um, you just come back We soon. can be, uh, we have to live like it. That's for <laughs> sure. That's for sure. Um, you know, I'm going to say, <laughs> see, if you go on the record as like soon, you know, he's going to return like next couple of days then, you know, that's on video. But if yeah. you say, like, 
uh, 45 years, right at the time when I'm, I'll be dying. That's like a safe <laughs> bet. <laughs> um, but you, verse 4, are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, right? So you are children of light. So he says, so let us not sleep, but let us stay awake and be sober. So live in a certain way that you are prepared for the return of Christ. That's mm-hmm. the exp- exhortation here. Um, he says, for those who sleep, verse 7, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we, are, we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So he's being encouraging here, right? He's saying, this is going to come suddenly. It'll come and bring destruction upon people. It will bring God's wrath. But also, we don't have to be surprised by it, and we can live in a way that is preparing for his return. Yeah. And it's a, but it's a hopeful thing, right? Like the oh, yeah. the day of the Lord for those who believe in Jesus is a, is a rejoicing event. It's, even though it, like wrath is present, like rejoicing and restoration with God is also present for those who love Jesus. Oh yeah, big time, so, big yeah. time. Yeah, this is this is meant to be a hopeful thing, absolutely. So if you've read books or seen a lot of things about the end times and it terrifies you, that should only terrify you if you don't know Jesus. Right. Right. First of all, those books and movies might be inaccurate. Might, might, might. might. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen them. <laughs> you ever seen the Omega Code? No. That was a great one. No, I actually have. I don't think I've seen like many of those. I've seen like the movie. It. You should watch it. I've seen like the the movie Armageddon. You know, it's but like, that has nothing to do with the, <laughs> the meteor coming from that space. Bruce Bruce Will, Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, you should. We should watch the Omega Code. It's a good one. It's like they like. I don't know. Like get numbers from the Bible and like it's this machine like spits out like the next prophecy that's going to happen or something. And nice. I, I don't remember much of it, but it's like, it I don't know, is it 2004 is, or something. Is the theology as good as uh, Mission Impossible? <laughs> uh, Job 314? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's up there. It's up there for cool. sure. Awesome. Um, so uh, we see then some, some of his final remarks here. I love verse 14. It's a good one for counseling. Right? He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It's good to remember that there's different kinds of people. So we should be patient with everyone, but there's people that are idle, and so you admonish them, right? You rebuke them. Mm-hmm. There's those who are just faint-hearted. They're just discouraged, so you encourage them. And there's those who are weak, so you help them. Mm-hmm. So as you're, help, as you're walking with people, you, you want to be conscious of who they are and what the struggle is, right? I like that a lot. Uh, he gives these rapid-fire commands in verses 16 and through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. There's a few times we talked about God's will for you. I love that. Um, we always think of God's will as this sort of like thing out there that we have to figure out. And he's saying God's will is that you obey him in these simple things. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he, he ends with a command, verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So you better you better read this letter to everyone. Um, that's great. So yeah, overall, Thessalonians a, a really encouraging book. Yeah, amazingly uplifting, and uh, it's good to see a young church that's actually doing well, but also clears up misconceptions about the end times. To remember that Christ's return is still future, but it could come any day, and so we should live in a way that prepares for that and expects that. Yeah, Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for Second Thessalonians.